Section 12 of Montezuma's Castle and Other Weird Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Montezuma's Castle and Other Weird Tales by Charles B. Corey. The Elixir of Life. Behold, said Dr. Watson, the elixir of life. Robinson looked up from his writing and assumed an expression of deep interest. Wonderful! I've often heard of it. Is it the true elixir vita of the ancients, or a new and more subtle compound? Listen, scoffer, if you'll behave with a decorum consistent with the gravity of the subject, I will explain how I became the possessor of this wonderful powder. Perhaps in your life of seclusion and deep toil you may not have noticed this advertisement which has appeared for the last month regularly in the morning paper. Watson took from his pocketbook a newspaper clipping and read as follows. Methuselah Club The object of this club is to enable its members to live to be one hundred and fifty years old. All persons desiring to become members should apply for particulars to Rengi Singh, number 5, 27th Street, City. Are you a member? inquired Robinson. Not as yet, but Jones is, and it was through Jones that I came into possession of this mysterious drug. It seems that Jones decided, after reading the advertisement, that he'd like to become a member of the club. Jones's health is not very good, as you know, and he called on Rengi Singh, and the result of the interview was that he came away with this small vial of the wonderful elixir, for which he paid twenty good dollars. He was so impressed by the gentleman who sold him the powder that he came to me as his medical adviser to ask my opinion as to the advisability of taking some of it. He brought with him a paper purporting to be the translation of an ancient papyrus manuscript, the original of which was in Thibetan or Sanskrit, and which was ingenious, if fraudulent. He told me a rambling story of how this Rengi Sea had procured this powder, and the whole thing was so peculiar that I decided to interview the gentleman myself. But first I made a point of getting our friend Strauss to analyze the powder. His report of the analysis shows it to be composed entirely of chloride of sodium, or plain common salt with a small quantity of some unknown vegetable matter which gives it a yellow color. Armed with this information, I called upon Rengi Singh at his office on 27th Street. You interest me, said Robinson, glancing at his work and palpably attempting to suppress a yawn. Watson arose and gently but firmly removed the pen from Robinson's fingers. He then placed the book on the papers and continued. The office was distinctly oriental, and there were numerous Bukhara and other good rugs scattered about. Besides, there were gorgeous divans, and the air was heavy with peculiar eastern odors. I was admitted by a gigantic negro dressed in oriental costume, and another negro arose as I entered and stood respectfully at the inner door. I asked for Rengi Singh, and was informed that he would be at liberty in a few moments and would I sit down and wait, all in very good English, from one of the gigantic sable guardians who bowed me in? 
I was kept waiting but just a few moments when the door opened and a small black bearded Hindu came softly into the room dressed in ordinary European costume. There was nothing striking about him except his eyes, which were really the most wonderful eyes I have ever seen on a human being. With the gentle manner peculiar to his race, he smiled and asked me to take a seat near the window. Is it possible, said Robinson, languidly lighting a cigarette? Is what possible, inquired Watson, frowning slightly. Why, that he asked you to take a seat near the window. Robinson remarked Watson sternly, Remember that your mental infirmities will not prevent my punching your head if you interrupt me with any more foolish questions. Robinson grinned, and after ostentatiously placing a paperweight within easy reach, Watson continued, I inquired if he was the person to whom I should apply for information about the Methuselah Club. He answered that he had the honor of being the president of the club, and would be glad to supply me with all the information in his power. Did I wish to join? Well, a friend of mine, I said, has already become a member, and the description of a wonderful powder has interested me. Likewise, the history of the powder. The Hindu smiled gently, showing his white teeth, and said that he was not surprised at my curiosity. He then went to a desk and took from it the printed circular, which Jones had already shown me, and which was supposed to be a translation of the ancient manuscript. It is the one I hold in my hand. Please glance over it before I continue my story. Robinson took the paper. What is this hieroglyphic affair at the top here? he asked. That, said Watson, is probably a copy of some very ancient amulet or talisman. The fish at the bottom was often used to designate Dag or the Master. Next above we have the Solomon's seal, and then the four Chaldaic letters, Jod, He, Van, He, Io, which is the deity. The other symbols are strange to me. Ah, said Robinson. A weird sort of thing, is it not? Don't be sarcastic. Read it, sententiously remarked Watson. Robinson did so. Let him who dares to live forever take of the powder, but let him think of Om, but speak it not on pain of death. Let absolute Mukta be known to him. Let him study the secret mantras and ponder on the mysteries of Vach. Let him also say each day, in his prayer, Amana Badmi Hamma. He who takes of the powder three times should acquaint himself with the Marka and the Lagash, and then he will never die. Even though he wished to live a thousand years, so it shall be. Well, remarked Watson, what do you think of it? Fake, answered Robinson. Verily out of the mouths of babes, etc., said Watson. But, old learned friend, you have not heard the whole story. Listen. I asked Renji Singh if he would be good enough to explain to me fully about the powder, and especially how and where he obtained it. My dear sir, he said, I see you are a scientific man, and it always gives me great pleasure to meet such, and to explain to them as fully as possible how I, Renji Singh, obtained possession of one of the most valuable treasures in the world the elixir of life. 
but before doing so i must enroll your name among the members of our society in fact one of the rules of the society is that unless a person becomes a member we can tell him nothing beyond allowing him to read the circular which you have already seen the initiation fee is five dollars and you're at liberty not to take the powder if you desire not to do so after you've become a member but if you wish to become a member in high standing and to take the powder which will ensure you a length of life far beyond that of ordinary mortals an additional fee of twenty dollars is charged for the powder i decided continued watson that the experience was worth five dollars so i intimated that i should be delighted to become a member of the society and handed mr singh five dollars whereupon he wrote me a receipt and gave me a member's card which stated that i was a member of the methuselah club of the second class and entitled to receive the elixir and to become a member of the first class upon the further payment of twenty dollars any time within the next ten days after which if i have not been made a member of the first class my name should be dropped from the rolls renji singh was the embodiment of courtesy when he bowed low and handed me my receipt my dear sir he said i shall now be happy to explain to you anything that i can i would like i said if possible to see the original papyrus which i understand were found with the elixir and i also would like to learn more fully the details as to how and where this elixir was obtained renji singh bowed and going to the corner of the room opened a small fireproof safe taking from it a roll of what proved after being unrolled to be an ancient papyrus manuscript written in the sanskrit language as far as i could make out it seemed to be the original of which the printed circular was a translation it certainly appeared ancient enough this manuscript said singh and the box of powder was obtained by my brother and given to me at his death he died from the effects of a fall from his horse which broke three ribs and otherwise injured him internally he never would have died except from that accident as he had taken several doses of the elixir just how long it will enable a man to live we do not know but certainly one hundred and fifty years and perhaps even two hundred years he obtained it in the following manner my brother had long been desirous of visiting lhasa which is as you know the wonderful capital of thibet but was unable to do so until a few years before his death when he accompanied a hindu who went there for the purpose of making certain reports to a foreign government his name i am not at liberty to disclose but his report was simply signed punjab a b my dear brother described lhasa to me very minutely and from all accounts it must be the most wonderful city in the world as you probably know no european or christian has ever been allowed to enter within its walls according to my brother's description the city is situated in a fertile plain on the sampo river some six hundred miles north of calcutta and has a population of fully sixty thousand persons the streets are wide and the houses have their walls whitened and the frames of the doors and windows colored red and yellow nearly west of the city connected with it by a splendid avenue is the mountain of buddha where now stands the temple of the grand lama this temple is four stories high and therein dwells the grand lama and his high priests 
Some idea of the magnificence of this temple may be obtained when I tell you that its great pillars are covered with plates of pure gold. The Grand Lama can live forever, and many people believe he does so, but he really does not. After a certain time he reincarnates himself into a new body. All of the priests, however, are very old. It is claimed that Pandita is at least one hundred and fifty years old. The Grand Lama has about him two priests of the highest grades, one the Pandita and the other Choji. The Grand Lama sits upon an altar or throne for hours at a time, clothed in gold-woven cloth and jewels of fabulous value. Over his head is a magnificent peacock's tail, composed entirely of gold and precious stones. It is the custom of the Grand Lama to receive persons who desire to receive his blessing at certain hours of the day. For a small amount of money, one is allowed to bow before him. For a little more money, one may touch his garment and receive his silent blessing. But for the sum of twenty rupees, he will speak to the person and touch him with a little wand. The Punjab A.B., in describing his interview, states that the Grand Lama talks in a hoarse voice, which he tries to make as much as possible like God's. It was during his visit to the temple that my brother learned of the wonderful treasures preserved there. Fabulous stories being told about a huge emerald with an ancient inscription engraved upon it, the mystic seal of the first Lama, which had been handed down for ages together with the greatest treasure of them all, known as the Elixir of Life. This wonderful powder was and is used by the high priests, some of whom are of great age. It is supposed to have been brought into Tibet by King Shramb Tsan during the seventh century, and that it originally came from Nepal. How did your brother procure it? I asked. By bribing one of the priests. My brother was wealthy and being very desirous of procuring some of this wonderful powder, he tried to buy some of it. Under no circumstances, however, would they listen to him, or even allow him to see it. He succeeded, however, as I said, in bribing one of the priests, paying him a large sum of money, several hundred rupees, I believe, and was shown the sacred chests containing this powder, and other treasures, including precious manuscripts and some jewels of great value. The powder was contained in five little gold boxes of beautiful workmanship. While examining them, they heard a door close and the sound of footsteps in the passageway. The priest became very much frightened and begged my brother to replace the boxes and manuscript at once, and was so agitated that he did not notice my brother when he slipped one of the gold boxes into his pocket. The person, whoever he was, passed on down the passageway, and as soon as they dared, they hurriedly left the vault. Luckily for my brother, he left Lhasa with Punjab that evening, and never learned whether the theft was discovered or not. Probably his powder would have done him little good had it been so, and had he been suspected. But how, I asked, do you know that this elixir will really prolong life? Singh smiled sweetly and said, I myself, my dear sir, am a living proof of that. I am one hundred and ten years old, and today there are in New York some sixty men who will live to that age, having taken the powder, unless they die from some form of disease. This elixir will not protect them against poison or diseases, 
where the poison germ has entered the system. That is impossible, but it acts upon the nerve centers and upon blood corpuscles in such wonderful ways that there is no degeneration. The person simply lives along the same as he would between the ages of thirty and forty. He's always the same. He may die from many causes, but it will not be from old age. My friend, I said, took the liberty to analyze some of this powder. Ah, and may I inquire the result of his analysis? A peculiar yellow light came into those eyes, and although he smiled, have you ever seen a caged tiger? languidly looking at the crowd of people in front of his cage and suddenly discover a dog near him i don't know that i have said robinson well if you do you'll notice the same yellow light flash into his eyes and the sudden change of expression that i saw in the eyes of our friend singh it was gone in a moment however and he was again smiling sweetly i understand he found it to consist principally of common salt quite so answered singh but he must have discovered that it also contained something else. That is true, I answered. There was a small amount of vegetable matter which gave it a yellow color. That is the true elixir, said Singh. Salt is merely necessary for the results. You, as a scientific man, know that the poison which kills so quickly from the fang of a cobra and the ordinary white of an egg can hardly be distinguished by the chemist. He finds them both to be albumen. Why, then, should one kill and the other be harmless, I asked? Simply the minute something else which is contained in the snake poison and which is held in solution by the albumen. Have you any other proof of the power of this elixir? I inquired. My dear sir, I trust you do not question the truth of my statement regarding my own age. He frowned slightly and those wonderful eyes of his glanced like lightning toward the two huge attendants standing in plain sight in the hallway. Not at all, I hastened to assure him. It all seems so wonderful to me. You must excuse my apparent incredulity. The most natural thing in the world, smiled Singh, with grave courtesy. But I will let your own eyes banish any doubt you may have as to the wonderful properties of this strange powder. Ajmed, he called, ask my son to come here a moment, if he would be so good. The attendant, who had spoken to me when I entered, immediately disappeared, and in a moment a back door opened, and the bent figure of a very old man entered the room and spoke to Singh in a weak voice. The language was evidently Hindustani, but I caught a word here and there which sounded familiar. Singh spoke to him sharply, and turning to me said, This is my son. He is nearly eighty years old, but refuses to take the powder on account of his religious principles. He belongs to the sect which believes that to die is better than to live, that his spirit will become incarnate in another body, and in his next life he will be at least a kopchi. My eyes must have betrayed my incredulity. You do not doubt that he is my son? sweetly asked Mr. Singh. Certainly not, I answered. I trust, then, that I shall have the pleasure of furnishing you with some of the wonderful powder. There is not very much left, but luckily it requires a very small dose. I have enough probably to supply one hundred men to ensure them existence for one hundred and fifty years. When that is gone, the supply can never be replenished. 
He sighed. Thank you, I answered. I shall think the matter over, and in all probability give myself the pleasure of calling upon you again. And then I came away, being bowed out by the sable attendants with all ceremony possible. There, what do you think of that? Do you intend to return and purchase the powder? asked Robinson. Perhaps, answered Watson, but I think I'll wait a while and see if Jones lives to be one hundred and fifty. End of section twelve.